Becoming an entrepreneur can be tough, lonely, and very stressful. But what does the word entrepreneur even mean? So I got out my laptop and I started Googling the word entrepreneur. I was keen to learn what this word actually means. Google tells me it's a person who sets up a business or businesses taking on financial risks in the open profit. Many entrepreneurs see potential in the market that they're going into. Very interesting, but I'm keen to find out how you can become a successful entrepreneur. In total, the most up-to-date government figures that I researched show a total of 5.5 million SMEs currently active in the UK. Small businesses, zero to 49 employees, makes up 5.5 million. That's 99% of total businesses. The UK is also home to 7,655 large businesses, classed as those who have more than 250 employees. Like our partners on this series, Aviva and EY. With 20% of small businesses failing in their first year, and around 60% of small businesses failing within three years, I invited three entrepreneurs over to my home to chat about their journey as an entrepreneur and how do you succeed. In this spotlight, you will learn from three entrepreneurs on how to get started, how to keep your business going and how to learn from failure. This is my duvet flip, a youth group original by me, Jack Parsons powered by a fever and EY. Are you ready? My first guest is such an authentic, energetic entrepreneur. Not only is he a successful entrepreneur, he's created a business worth billions. He's created a business that's taken energy to a next level. He's created a business that's used by millions of people across this country. My next guest is the founder and CEO of Optus Energy, Greg Jackson. Mr. Jackson, Greg, it's so good for you to be here today. You have so much energy. Well, you do run an energy company. Let's start at the beginning. What was your first job that actually paid you your first wage? There are three stories, I think, from the start of my career, because I can start very young when I did a milk round age about 14. 
Um, and that was getting up at half six in the morning and, and literally running for an hour and a half, carrying inordinate amounts of freezing cold, very heavy milk. Uh, we had to run because if we weren't at the end of the street before the milk float got there, he'd go without us. I left school when I was 16 to write video games. Self-taught, um, uh, all that time junior GCSEs when you're supposed to be revising. Um, I was using that to learn to write code and writing games. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm something I didn't really uh, enjoy school that much. Um, the, the sort of very command and control didn't really suit me. I think maybe that was the beginning of entrepreneurialism. Uh, but after a year of writing video games, um, I had a game that I wrote that didn't get published. I spent a couple of months on it and not getting paid for a couple of months work really was quite bruising. And that's when I decided I should probably go and get some A-levels. Greg, I've got an interesting question. A lot of young people in our community come to us and say that they want to start a business or they want to build a game like you did or they want to do A, B or C, go to uni, not go to uni. But their family keeps telling them not to do something. What is your advice to a young person in our community that has been told one thing but wants to do another? So often we have parents or family members, teachers, whatever, that are trying to get us to put our effort into a thing that they think is right for us. And it's hard work and it's demotivating. I never did any homework, I was doing this instead. Now, you know, I think finding ways to see the thing that is right for us and, and deploying our passion on it um, is so much more fulfilling and more likely to lead to success than being forced to do the stuff you're not interested wow. in. Wow. Didn't I tell you Greg was cool? But my next guest is also very wise. My next guest created a fashion brand that took Gucci Parada by storm. This guest is a fashion tycoon. But most importantly, he's a British tycoon, fashion entrepreneur. This guy founded the designer brand Mulberry. Everyone, meet Roger. Roger, how are we? And I can see you looking dapper. And uh, that's why I decided today just to wear black so you didn't judge my fashion. And not that I own anything, Mulberry. This series, this spotlight, is all about young entrepreneurs, people starting businesses. And you've started several, and you've had a global success, You've had local success. What do you think it is about you that has made you successful? Is it finance? Is it the creativity? Is it product? What do you think? What is real about what I've been lucky enough to do is product mm. and manufacturing. And there's something very honest about manufacturing. And I remember when we started with Mulberry, the whole thing of having our own team making the product, me learning how to make it with my dad's help and his best product engineer, you know, doing gene mule buckles, enamel buckles in his oven. 
his cooker, his wife's cooker or whatever it was, and baking them off. And it was that thing of you've created something together and you're bringing it to the market and you've costed it and you understand how it works. And it's Roger, a smart entrepreneur said to me, you can build on it, but you can't change it. So talking about building on it, where do you start with building a fashion brand? Where do you start with building any business as an entrepreneur? Tell me a little bit about how, if I want to start a fashion brand tomorrow, there'll be a number of young people in our community who will want to start a fashion brand and be the next Mulberry or the next Gucci. What do they do? How do they do it? You've got the idea, you've got the team, you've got the components, you've got everything, but if you haven't got the audience or you haven't got something right, I think back in our Mulberry days, a number of times we, I mean, a great example was Kate Winslet. First big acting job was in Titanic. That was probably one of the biggest ones ever. We found her as a Mulberry girl. We put her on the front of Mulberry Life. And um, we were, I was doing car racing at the time, we were racing at Goodwood. So I took her up the hill at Goodwood in my Gullwing Mercedes and I was thinking, yes, we've got this absolutely right. Did photo calls afterwards and we had two wonderful leggy models with us at the same time. And all the photographers were interested was the leggy models. They, they, poor Kate was over there, somewhat shorter than them, and nobody took a photograph of her at all. Um, so she, it was too soon. And then we came out with Mulberry Life. Titanic came out just afterwards and she then became a Gucci girl. <laughs> they got all the glory and we'd done all the work. And that's just a great example of if you haven't got it quite balanced and timed out correctly, it's a waste of time. Greg, I was speaking to Roger, the guy who founded Mulberry, and he focused his energy on product. Product, product, product. But we've had a number of young people come to us saying that they've tried to look at their product and every time they've launched a product, it's failed. What is your advice to young people that launch something, whether it's in their bedroom, in their garage, and it fails? The thing that really matters is you can't change the past, right? Yesterday's gone. You can learn from it, and you can build from it, but you can't, can't change, change it. it. What you can change is today and tomorrow. And so like, if, just relentlessly focusing forward and being comfortable that if things go wrong, you know, do you have the, the, the kind of the ability to live in the worst possible scenario? Because if you do, well, it's only going to be the same as that or probably better. So let's build for. So Roger, I've got a two-part question. My first part is lots of young entrepreneurs in our community will want to start a fashion business. You have had a successful fashion business. So how do you start? And secondly, you're no longer in the fashion industry. You're no longer running Mulberry. Do you miss it? You start designing and creating a collection about a year before it'll hit the shops and the ideas come together. What are the themes? What are the, what are the essences that you know are going to bring it together? Sometimes it's product, sometimes it's, um, is it a, you know, we, we tried to in the latter years of Mulberry always pick a British theme, was it colonial India, was it Hemingway, was it, you know, what, what might it have been that gave us inspiration to go to Florida and, and use that surroundings rather than perhaps a wet GB. Um, so it can be any element. So I think coming back to do I miss it, the answer is what I miss is 
It was a family we had created. You know, we had 500 people working for us, it was a workforce. I knew the stitches. If we had a crisis, I'd stand up on the orange box and say, guys, we've got a problem coming up and I've got to tell you about it. Equally, if we had a great success, I'd stand up on the same orange box, stop production. And I always remember we were, we were voted one of the top 100 companies to work for in, in the country. And there was a book around it. And uh, Mars were in that top 100, Mars bars. And Mars came into the factory. Mars met asked, the marketing manager of Mars, asked if he could come and visit and find out what it was about us. Why did people want to work for us? Um, and so he came down. And when Monty, my wife, said to him, well, you know, what, what we do when we've got something important, where we want the whole team to know what's going on, we stop work. And Roger gets up on the orange box and says his bit. And they all listen. And uh, they know when something stopped, you know, that we've got something to say to him you can't stop production, <laughs> that's time out of production. Um, Monty, you, he just didn't understand, you know, it was about the community. So coming back to your question, that's what I miss. We'd created a community, not just in the UK, but our Japanese shop team, our Swedish shop team, our German shop team, our Italian tanners and fabric makers. So those relationships and traveling around the world to be with those different environments, that's what I created with Marbury was you know, selecting and choosing and making leather, to designing fabrics in Italy, to being in Turkey, working with, you know, we started manufacturing around the world as well, being in Turkey or in China, visiting the factories. So that side, the internationality of that, and being a European, you know, big exporter and so on. So Roger, when do I know is the right time to start a business? Should I do an apprenticeship? Should I go and work in a, a retail fashion business beforehand? I really would like to know, what do I do starting out? Take a teapot business, or actually, let's keep it to uh, fashion. What is your advice? Going into the teapot world, then you're gonna to start to feel, okay, well I fit here, this is my space. Am I different? Can I really be here? So I would say, We'll forget about teapots now, we'll move back into fashion. Let's imagine I want to do fashion, and let's imagine I want to do sportswear. Go and find the very best sportswear brand, go and work on the shop floor, get a job working on the shop floor. You'll never learn anything better than what does Jack want, what does Get Sold Best, why has he got those shoes on, what is it about that customer, where are they all going to buy today, tomorrow? If you don't know that, waste of time. Pack your bags and go away. So I'd say get into retail, get into the front end or the front end of social media, whatever it might be where that product is sold is where you must do your training. That's where you must do your apprenticeship. That way you're going to become capable, knowledgeable about your subject. By that time, you'll have gone, actually, I really don't want to be here or Yes, I'm so hungry to get to that next step. Once you've done that, you need to get into understanding production. Now you'll start to see that because you'll see which brands work best. You'll understand where they're making. Okay, they're making in China. Wow, I need to do 10 million of these to get them produced. I can't do that in a second. So finding your niche, getting your place, getting your elbows out a bit, talking to people, being in the box, that's what you need to do. Greg, we get a lot of young people that come to us that have said, this, this organisation has offered me a job, or this youth uh, club has said, come and do this. But I don't know if it was my passion. 
and I end up doing it and I get unmotivated and they put me into a dead end job that I just don't want to be in. But then I feel like I can't leave because I'll be unemployed. What is your advice to those young people? And they're in their masses and they come to the youth group to work with youth verified companies to get support and work at places where they want to work. But what's your advice to those who have not heard of the youth group or who don't come to us and end up working in an organisation that they don't want to be at? Yeah, look, on a really personal level, uh, we've only got one life, all right? And there are things we want to do that. We, I think we have a duty to be happy, all right? We should aim to be happy because if we can't be happy, we can't make other people happy. There's no, you know, you've only got one shot at it. At least that's my personal belief. <laughs> but the, um, um, and, you know, in being happy, you should, I believe, you should be trying to do that without harming others. At the very least, don't harm them. At best, do good things for others. Um, so there's a couple of, that would be my kind of two guiding principles. But then, um, so often we've got these expectations. We think we've got to get on a career ladder and we'll, we'll, we'll do all kinds of things that don't make us happy or that don't meet our own personal kind of values in order to get on a career ladder. Or we've got the expectations of parents or spouses or, or housemates or friends all of which fill us with these insecurities and things about what we should do. Um, and I think the most important thing is at some point, have you ever noticed grannies tend to be quite happy? And I think they're quite happy because they've basically worked out, right, you know, um, that none of that really matters. Now, it's such a shame people so often discover that later in life when it could So have... you're saying spend some more time with grannies? Well, I'll tell you what, grannies have yeah. got, got a lot to, honestly, Tremendous things you, you gain when you hang out with older people, the wisdom, the insights of people who've been there. And so, um, but what, what I really mean by this is just all those insecurities and things that hold us back and make us unhappy, the sooner we can shed them, the better. And, and, and part of that is learning that, you know, for example, in a career or in a job, if it's not fulfilling for you, you should be doing something else. And, you know, and we were talking earlier, weren't we, before we did this about Anne Bowden, the founder of Starling, right? I mean, I'm, I'm 50. And I think the point of that really is that you can keep on making decisions and changing throughout your life and deliver all the success you want. So the one thing you should do is, is not allow yourself to get stuck in a track that is someone else's. It's, it's build your own. First of all, it, it, it's not always to be an entrepreneur, right? Yeah. I, I say to people, like, this isn't the life for everyone. I mean, frankly, there's some stuff that, that, that drives me. Mm. I don't think it's good for me, right? But it's me. Mm. Um, but I don't think we should necessarily eulogize entrepreneurialism. I think that there are many other paths that are right for different people. Uh, but the thing you should never do is sit there wishing. You've got to get on with it. So if it's not the right job for you and it's paying the bills, that's okay. But get working and building towards what you're going to do instead. Now, what are you going to do instead? You know, is it going to be a different career? Is it going to be, you know, become self-employed, be a gardener, you know? Uh, I used to work with someone who used to look out the window every day. He looked out the window at the garden outside our office and said, that's the job I really want. I was like, in that case, work towards it. Right, you know, okay, it pays less than you're currently doing. But if that's the life you want, spend half your day doing that, uh, so half your waking life doing that, that'll make you happy. Go do it. Right, go do it and, and, and make the rest of your life fit around it. But, you know, another friend of mine, like he, um, when we were in our 20s, we were sharing a house. Um, uh, he was a journalist. And um, he was working on, on, on a trade magazine and just wasn't very happy. And he jacked it in and went traveling and he worked in bars around the world. And, um, but what happened was one day he um, was working in a, another country and um, uh, got talked to someone who worked on a local newspaper and ended up working as a journalist there. 
and he found his groove and it made him really happy and wrote the stuff he wanted that he'd never been able to do here. After a while, his career there took off and he eventually came back here and got the kind of jobs in journalism he did want. And these things come from change, right? So I think the, the worst thing you can ever do is like spend your evenings whinging about stuff or wishing for stuff, wishing you're somewhere else, plan Just towards it. And make change. And make change, yeah. And, and, but don't be scared of the change. Like the guy there, he was on that career path in journalism. He jacked it in and it ended up being a better career path in journalism and a lot more fun on the way. So Greg, we've talked about happiness and I've already given you an award for the most happy, happiest entrepreneur. But what makes you sad? What makes you upset? I want to hear the side of Greg Jackson that you don't normally share. Tell me the last thing that made you unhappy and sad. Uh, I tell you what, right? I was um, I was getting on a flight last night and been on a business trip, and it was around about 11 p.m. 11:30 p.m. UK time, and I've got a WhatsApp group with some of my top managers, mm -hmm. and two of them accidentally upset each other, right? And I wasn't there. I couldn't fix it, and it was late at night, and the bats of the plane's about to take off, so I've got no signal. And, you know, I, I, so I couldn't fix it. And that is what bothered me. Um, and so, um, you know, I had to think through all the possibilities, which took a short while, worked out how we make ourselves happy in all of them. And then was able to be happy for the rest of the flight, ready to sort it out in the morning. And by the way, it's all cool. For those who want to get into fashion, well, wasn't Roger just great? And don't forget Greg, building that multi-billion organization but you'll hear more from them in a bit. But I wanna introduce my third guest. This individual was named the 17th richest woman in the country. She's gone through hardship. She stands strong and she fights for women's rights. She cares deeply about entrepreneurship and she wants you to succeed, like she did. My next guest is Jacqueline Gold, CBE, the chair of Anne Summers. Jacqueline, 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 how are we? Oh, so great to have you here. So, I wanna, you're, you're, you're the 17th richest woman in the country. But I wanna know when you first earned your first bit of money. What was she doing? Why did you earn some, why did you wanna earn some money? And what was that role you did? I lived quite a difficult childhood and um, my sort of, I just kept thinking my way out of this and this being, you know, I experienced sexual abuse between the age of 12 and 15, but also at the same time a very sort of repressed environment. Um, you know, my mother, you know, didn't like my sister and I going out of the house, so we were, um, you know, quite overprotected in a strange way. Um, so for me, sort of seeing working opportunities, that was 
that was my way of escape. Um, so I took on quite a few uh, sort of Saturday jobs. And then I started to earn some money. That was financial independence. Um, and then of course, and, and the other thing I did, I did, I was designing crossword puzzles at 50 pence a time when I was sort of 13 years old. So that, that was my thing, I think. That was my escape. Wow, that's impressive. So going out, earning some money, was your, was your mum proud? And what was your feeling? One, my mum found that acceptable, that I was leaving the house to go to work. So that made it easy. There was a bit of freedom attached to that. Um, and it was empowering. You know, when you, when you earn money and, and put money in your pocket, you think, wow, I've done something there and I, I've got something back for it. Roger, when starting out, some entrepreneurs raise investment and some don't. For those who don't raise investment when they're bootstrapping at the start, what should they be doing? To, how do they grow their team? How do they grow their product if they don't really have any money? What do they do? Always, you know, when we knew we couldn't afford to bring in a job role, I would always go out and find out, well, who's the best who can give me advice on this? Um, and that way you'd get that bit of advice that got you that bit further. Maybe one day you could afford one of those in the team. So Jacqueline, we have to be honest. Entrepreneurship is not all glam. Yes, you can become successful, the 17th richest woman, but it doesn't come without sacrifice or hard work. People telling you no, people letting you down, and people trying to stitch you up. Can you share with the audience a story where this has happened to you. I'm really intrigued to hear some of the, the not so glam moments in your journey as becoming a successful entrepreneur. But I've had a bullet through the post. That was for trying to open a store in Dublin, which, um, which, which was just a, a, an incredible story really when I look back because the, the equivalent of the council in Dublin had heard that I was trying to open a store in O'Connell Street. This is back in 1999 now. And they, um, they wrote letters to me trying to persuade me not to, uh, to go to some back street. And I said, well, this is exactly where we don't want to be. Our customers don't want to go to a back street. Um, and I just felt that they just didn't really understand. So I invited them over to our, our head office and they came. Um, and it was Alan and Kieran, I remember them vividly. So we showed them round uh, some of our stores in the morning to show them what we were doing, that we weren't scary, what we were trying to achieve. Um, you know, we talked about the ethos of the business and how, um, how much we wanted to empower women in the bedroom and we didn't want to be in the back street because we wanted it to be accessible for women. We wanted to show our very female-friendly stores all of that and then by the afternoon they were they met me in the boardroom and uh, I had a couple of my colleagues there uh, one of them Alan sat right next to me um, and all he wanted to talk about was his sex life um, and then over there was Kieran who couldn't even look me in the eye so we had real chalk and cheese here uh, you know 
good cop, bad cop situation. And we debated for ages. And I, in the end, I said, look, you, you have an agenda here. You're not going to change your mind. I, I don't think there's much point as continuing. So they both got up and Alan turned around to me. He said, what I must warn you is if you decide to go ahead and open this door, he said, I cannot be held responsible for what might happen to you which was very chilling to hear at, you know, I think I was about 30 at the time. So I planned to go ahead and open the store and then I got the bullet through the post, which was really scary. But I thought, no, I'm, I'm gonna go ahead and open this store. I was invited onto the Late Late Show, which has got sort of quite an iconic, if you heard of it, it's got quite an iconic following, hasn't it? At that point, I'd never done any TV at all. And um, I remember, um, uh, is it Frank Crawford? Uh, not Frank Crawford, what's his first name? Anyway, he was on before me, the comedian. And I remember thinking, God, he's getting all these laughs, you know. And I was just terrified. But I went on the stage and I just told my story. I told why we were opening a store in Dublin is because sales in Dublin were higher than the UK. So we knew that customers really, you know, that sales in our party plan, in our direct selling channel and online. So I then, uh, I remember looking into the audience and seeing Alan sitting at the front of the stage. And I'm thinking, I felt a bit stitched up. I thought I'd been stitched up here. And, uh, you know, he also got up and started beating his chest like sort of politicians do and and then some woman in the audience said hang on a minute don't you tell us where we can and can't shop and it was just that amazing turning point you know that sudden sudden change of public opinion um, and that was just through just being me telling my story and you know actually we were still taken to court by the Dublin Corporation um, but not only did we win the court case, but we are on the tourist bus route that, uh, you know, that tells that story. And I mean, Dublin is one of our, our top three performing stores in our whole portfolio. So. so, Roger, a lot of online resources, magazines, the news, they say that you, you should get a co-founder, then you read another magazine and they say you shouldn't. Should a young person get a co-founder? Should they not get a co-founder? What did you do and how did that help you? You can learn a lot and take it in and become very good at it. And to be an entrepreneur, you have to understand your financial side if you don't, or if you haven't got a partner who does that for you. Now you, you can definitely find a partner and do it, but you probably won't be able to succeed without a partner, be it mother, sister, wife, um, boyfriend, whatever it might be, you've, you've got to start with somebody who's there to support you because it's going to be really tough on your own. Um, I was very lucky that my partner's my mother and that meant probably with your mother you're going to, there's going to be a lot more stretch than with your best friend. Finally you can't say something to your mother, you might say to your best friend or vice versa you'd hope. Um, I can't remember the number of times in the early years of my mother was very conservative, very correct. Um, some people have called her the queen. You know, she was absolutely on it. Payment, 
5% seven days or whatever it might have been. She really followed through and all of our customers, oh, we better pay her. So, but she was perfect at that side. On the creative side, not so. So I was the marketeer, the designer, the producer. My father in the background was amazing because he worked for Clark Shoes and finding those sample stitches for us and those first people and teaching me costings. And he'd give me pages. Here's, here's how to do your costings, son. And um, here's a costing sheet. And I still got the original hard cards costing sheets he did for me. Um, and I didn't really pay attention. But I did as time went on. You know, those percentages, what labour cost should be, what material cost should be, how you multiply up to get to the end cost of a belt or a handbag. And then what do you need to add for your export bit of percentage of transport and logistics. So Jacqueline, we had Roger, the founder of Mulberry. I can see that you know Mulberry. And he talked about if you want to be an entrepreneur, go and work for someone else first and learn what you need to learn before you go and set up a business. So if a young person watching this, taking Roger's advice is, okay, I'm going to go and start a business, but before I do that, I'm going to go and get a job. What, how should they be? How should they act? And on the flip side, if a young entrepreneur is looking to hire someone, what should they be looking for in that individual? When I'm interviewing, um, I think pe people want to be engaged with, particularly a young person who perhaps, you know, can, you know, often we can be a bit shy. And, you know, I think my 13 year old daughter, um, I mean, she's very confident in many uh, situations, but then, you know, last night I, I drove up to Taipad and asked her to go in and, Mummy, I don't want to go in and get the, the takeaway. You know, there is a, an element of, um, you know, confidence building, but, you know, stepping outside your comfort zone and trying these new things and things that seem bigger than what maybe you think yourself as being, you know, opens up so many opportunities and potentially changes your life. But I would, I would say the first, the first thing is to be engaging. People, you know, people employ people they like. You know, you want to, you're going to be spending potentially all day or quite some time with that person. You want, you want that connection. So Roger, every day we at the youth group get about 500 young people sharing their new business ideas and they're so excited and they've got so much energy and they say to us can you review the business idea and do you think it will be successful is every idea successful roger what is your take on success versus not success and what do young people need to do to make sure that they've got a bigger success than someone who hasn't the success rate is tiny. So for somebody to have an idea in fashion, that means you've got to have a product or a theme or you've got to be a great designer. So often the great designers couldn't sell, couldn't make, possibly could make something but didn't know how to cost it. Um, so couldn't produce it to a price point. So there are so many aspects of being an entrepreneur when you're bringing product to market. So you could, you could talk about this forever, um, but I think the first thing is enthusiasm and I've got an idea. I don't know how many people will come to me and say, oh God, you've created Mulberry or you've created Sharp. And, you know, I've got this great idea. Um, I think I can bring it to the market. 
And so I say, great, what is it? And it might be this or that. It's, let's say, designing that. I've got this great teapot. I want to bring it to the market. Okay, well, how, how far have you got? Have you designed it? Have you made one? Where have you got to? And so often you see they have a wonderful idea and they're almost angry. Well, not angry, but very frustrated that the world won't listen to their idea. So I think the first thing, and if you like, they're doing the right thing by talking to somebody like me, but actually probably they've not done that. They should have done that earlier. So I think the first bit of advice I would say is, if you have an idea that is a service or a product that you can see as unique, first you've got to know you're unique or there's something about the process or the product that is cheaper or it's better. What is it about your idea that you can bring to market? You've got to test it in with people who you respect. If you don't know people who you've got this idea that will work, then you've got to go and find them. You've got to put yourself, so to speak, at risk. You've got to put yourself out into a scenario where you're having to talk to people about your idea. So I think that means you've got to sell yourself. So that is a critical part of any entrepreneur's life. You will not be an entrepreneur, I don't believe, unless you can sell your idea. And I would always come back to, an entrepreneur means you've had an idea, sort of, I guess, then you must sell it. If you can't sell it, don't be an entrepreneur, because you're going to get that, 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 endlessly. And you've got to be able to take those knocks, because that will just start turning this product into what it should be. Then you've got to get loads of advice, not just is my idea good. I don't, you know, what are the things you need to do? You, your product has to be costed so you can make a margin, so you can make profit. If you don't understand that bit, just don't go there. Find somebody that can help you test that. We've made that teapot. We made one of them. You made it on the table because you were quite clever at making teapots, you thought. You then said, okay, I want to make 50 teapots. Where would I go and make it? I want to make 10,000 teapots. If you're going to really make it work, 50 is not going to do you very far, is it? So you need 10,000 teapots. So where will I make it? Where can I bring it to market? What are the margins in the industry? You know, what does the retailer make? Am I going direct to consumer? How on earth will I get there? Will I market it? How will I do it? So it's just mapping out what your idea is, what your idea has to do to get there. And you cannot do it without help. You need to have friends, people who will give you information for nothing to start with. Then you need to have people who can actually, you can pay them something. So that means to pay them, you've got to have earned something to make it happen. So I think the best thing to do is to go into a teapot retailer. Go and put yourself in that teapot shop and just see what sells, what's popular. Well, how does my teapot do against those other teapots? So Greg, everything you're saying is so resonating with me. But I want to talk a little bit about success. What does success mean to you? And do you think you're currently successful? I mean, I, it's interesting, I, I, I'm really hesitant ever to, about talking about success. There's, um, Kenny Rogers was a country and western singer that died recently. And he had a song that said, you never count your money when you sit in the table. Uh, there'll be time enough for counting when the dealing's done. And I think, uh, now, that's not just about money, it's about any, anything that says you've been successful. And so I'm very hesitant, for example, to describe me as successful, what we do as successful. I think we've had some successes, but you know, um, 
yeah, uh, we've got so much more to do and I've got so much more to do. Um, there's a couple of things I'm really proud of. Um, I don't think it's well known that roughly when we started Octopus Energy, I also helped start a company which um, provides a, a telephony platform for doctors. And what it does is lets a doctor, a GP, phone a consultant while the patient's in the surgery. So normally when the doctor thinks you need to see a consultant, you know, they write a letter and 14 weeks later, if you're lucky, you see a consultant. What's that, what this does is lets the doctor do it there and then. So the consultant, who's the expert on, on a particular topic, is able to advise the doctor on how to treat you, um, what tests you might go for before you go and see the consultant, or even in 40% of cases, you don't need to see the consultant at all. And that business um, covers over 40% of the health service. Uh, it's called Consultant Connect. It's run by a brilliant entrepreneur and um, you know, has saved tens of thousands of people. Um, help them get the right treatment faster and it saved NHS a lot of money because when people go to the consultant, you know, if they've waited 14 weeks, things can have got out of hand, but often they didn't need to see the consultant at all. So it, it, it makes better use of those incredibly precious resources in the health service. So I'm wow. really proud of that. So Jacqueline, you've had such an incredible, successful career. Is there anything that you wished you started earlier? that maybe young people can think, oh, yeah, I'm going to start that now because Jacqueline didn't. So my first one is about networking. Now, I think men tend to be better networkers than women. Why? Because they like, uh, you know, they do social activities together, golf or whatever, but also because the environment of the traditional environment of networking tends to be male. So women are a bit put off by that. They're, they're also, you know, much more, um, I need to prove myself, head down, you know, I want to be taken seriously. There's that lens constantly, haven't got time for socialising. But there is an important part of that, and I do regret not investing more of my time in uh, networking. And obviously there's lots of different ways to network today, but just networking can change your life. You can meet somebody new for the very first time. Um, you know, and, and networking isn't about pitching, it's about building relationships. So you, you make a connection with somebody, you have things in common. Uh, you know, then you go for a green tea. You know, and that but that's how it works, isn't it? You could say, look, you know, we must catch up. This is great, you know, strange cars. And then you follow it up. So, Greg, when you messaged me and said, yes, I'll come over for a cup of tea, and you said you would do this because you care about young people, which I'm so grateful for, I was thinking, why would you go into energy? You could have gone into fashion, women's knickers. You could have went into anything that you wanted to go into, but you decided energy. Why did you go into the energy industry? What are you trying to solve? We started the business when I'd previously sold a tech business, and we could see that energy was the last big sector that hadn't had a tech revolution. And that meant customer service was poor, prices were too high, and uh, you know we weren't making fast enough progress towards a green future. Um, and so built a business plan um, and I was a successful entrepreneur at the time 
Um, but it needed, I think, £10 million or £13 million of funding, and all we had was a PowerPoint. And we never worked in the sector. And because it's a regulated sector, you can't just start with a minimum of a viable product. And as we've seen with energy companies going bust, if you didn't have the right backing, you wouldn't be able to ride through this kind of market. So, um, I was actually too nervous to go and raise the money um, and, and put the business plan on the shelf. Uh, but uh, a couple of years later, I bumped into a guy called Simon Rogerson. He's the brilliant founder of a company called Octopus Investments, and they invest in tech companies and they invest in renewable generation and some other stuff too. And I thought, hello. And I pitched him on the idea, you know, metaphorically dusted off the business plan, and he loved it. Um, it was going to be called Positive Energy. And we had a great logo, um, and Simon was going to back it. Um, with about a week to go before shaking hands, well, before signing the deal, Simon said, do you mind calling it Octopus Energy after Octopus Investment? And, and the team, we were like, oh, suckers and slime and rubber. It doesn't sound good. Mm. Um, but, you know, in good heart, we gave it a go and we did loads of research on how to make an octopus cute. And um, Disney, by the way, had the answer. And it's, you know, big eyes, nice mm. smile, short tentacles. Um, and, um, and we created this gorgeous, cute logo and we fell in love with it. And then Simon, with a day to go before Simon, he said, actually, let's not call it Octopus. I'm like, please, let's call it Octopus. And unfortunately, we did. And you now got an energy company that, uh, you know, has got a memorable, tangible name. Like, people never used to know what energy company they're with. Every one of our customers know who they're with. Now that puts a duty on us to look after them, but that's what we set out to do. And now that's kind of used across some of the group isn't it as well yeah we, when I met Simon he yeah. said when you meet Greg you're going to have such a good time together because you, your stories are very similar I didn't and know you met Simon yeah I've met yeah. Simon yeah oh, we've had a brilliant. coffee and everything he's super when, when I arrived you said it's interesting how you know um, you meet people from different circles all the time and they start crossing over well, you've proved it. But anyway, he's a great guy, right? Yeah. Um, and, and I'm getting invited. I, I'm not sure where you guys yeah. are based, but I'm getting invited down to Holborn. Um, the, I think the offices are down Holborn near Sain in Sainsbury's bit. So they're going to spend some time understanding the operation. Oh, great. Yeah. Well, it's about a mile from us. We're in Oxford yeah. Circus. Cool. Um, uh, on Oxford Street. But you should come to ours too. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, look, I mean, we Jacqueline, I believe in a few really important principles like stay humble, be kind and be honest. I look at your profile online and I see 17th richest woman, CBE, success. Have you ever let your success or your wealth get to your head? Gosh, that's a really interesting question. I mean, I've always been on the the more humble side. So I've, I, you know, hand on heart, don't believe I've ever done that, but I can see how easy it is to do that. Um, and, you know, that's the last thing, you know, the last thing you want to do. I mean, I, I think it's, um, but it will probably happen from time to time. You know, I think that if you are, if you are successful, there are moments when you, you're going to feel, wow, you just feel so amazing, you know, amazing that you've just achieved something. I, th I think it's just staying grounded, Jack, you know. Um, I, I just think it's the awareness of it as well. You know, I said it might happen from time to time. I think that temptation might happen to, 
happen from time to time, but I think it's just remaining grounded because I think, I think it was Piers Morgan who said, you know, one day um, you're cock of the walk, the next day you're a feather duster. So arrogance does, you know, it's by staying humble that you, you know, you, you appreciate the things that, that really matter and that you have a, a purpose in what you're doing. I think that's, that's another thing I've always done. You know, it was all, for me, it was all about empowering women. And those, having that purpose does keep you grounded and it keeps you focused. This is why I'm here. So there's no real room for arrogance. You know, it's like what you're doing. You know, you have such a strong purpose. There isn't room for that, is there? Um, so I, I think that, you know, my business was, that it's only now that people are starting to realize or business people are starting to realize that standing for something you know, putting your stake firmly in the ground and really owning it is is what people care about today. We want to, you know, we want to sort of shop with businesses that we know care and that they're, it's not just transactional. So I think if you have that purpose, I think that probably would be my, my key advice. Greg, some of the most successful entrepreneurs, well, public successful entrepreneurs, big difference between the two, like Richard Branson, really pride themselves on branding, marketing. What is your opinion on branding and marketing? We built this group as well now. We do, we lease electric cars, we invent um, and develop electric heat pumps, which by the way are the future of heating. So much better than gas boilers. It's like electric cars. When you've been in one, you go, why didn't we do this sooner? Mm -hmm. It's going to be the same with electric heat pumps, moving from gas boilers. Um, and then also, you know, we've got big generation. We stick our logo on our wind farms. We light them up with lasers because we're proud of what we do. Um, and branding it is a way of telling the world, like, you know, this is something to be proud of, not to be scared. Roger, how, as a young entrepreneur, can we grow our businesses? What do we need to do? You've just got to you've got to take some big risks sometimes, which really are going to st stretch you cash flow wise and, and, and so on. But we then bought in venture capitalists and sold 25% of the company, funded the Mulberry Home thing off and off we shot. Jacqueline, they say you are the average of the five people you surround yourself with. How important is it to have good people in your business when starting out as an entrepreneur? I have so many amazing people in my business. Really, I mean, you know, you unless you've got good people in your business that are better than you, you've not got the right people at the table. Because the whole point is, we're not, we can't be good at everything. Don't ever expect that you have to be good at everything. Saying I don't know is okay. As long as you've got the right people. And I wished I had done that earlier. Um, but I'm there now. You know, got great people, good culture. She's fantastic, yeah. Georgie, my lovely Georgie. Um, so that was would be my second um, my second fear, and if not fear, uh, uh, learning or regret. My third. Um, I, I guess it's about. You know, how do you accelerate self-belief? And 
you know, obviously we know from experience that that comes with confidence. There are things that we do now that are second nature that years ago we struggled a bit with and then, you know, different people are at different stages. And, you know, I did doubt myself for quite some time, even though I had this passion. And what I did to get round this, and, and, you know, I'd love your, you know, your, view, your, your listeners and viewers to take this on board. I started to write a list of what I'd achieved in my life as I achieved it. Now, I would suggest anybody watching sends an email to themselves with all the things they've achieved to date. And it can be personal or professional or what you achieved, you know, during your education. But there are some milestones. We've all got milestones, but it's so easy to forget them. And what I did in, in my sort of 20s, is I made this lift and I've, I've kept it going because, you know, I've... I've had, you know, I've, I've had a CBE. I mean, that's incredible. You know, we, and we have to remind ourselves of these things that we've achieved. So if ever you're going into that, that difficult meeting that you've never done before, you could be going on stage, you could be going to an important job interview, you could be meeting Rishi for the first time, you know, whatever it is, it's on your list. And just before you go into that meeting, read it back to you. Read it back to yourself. And I promise you, it is so powerful. It takes you into that meeting feeling tall and, you know, I've got this. Jacqueline, what does it take to be a true, through and through, successful entrepreneur? Well, you're going to hear me say the words a lot because uh, they've played a very big part in my life. And I, I think it is... Um, well, first of all, I think it's courage, resilience, and passion. Those are the three words you'll hear me say over and over again. And um, I think that, you know, we can, when, you know, it's inspiring hearing you talk about the challenges you faced when you were younger. But I think you, you have a choice, you know, um, and people approach their challenges in different ways. I think the most empowering way to approach a challenge is, you know, through success, through following something that you feel really passionate about. That's, you know, that is what will lift you out of your situation. Um, and, you know, you can, you have the ability to turn your life around. You absolutely have that ability. And, you know, I've, I've been through lots of personal challenges in my life. You know, I've, I, I lost my son at eight months old. I've been poisoned um, and, uh, by the nanny. My, you know, I've had breast cancer. I've been diagnosed with, with, diagnosed with breast cancer in 2016. Just a few things that I've dealt with. Um, and, you know, it's very easy in those situations to think, poor me, why me? You know, um, when is this ever going to end? But, you know, we're only here for a short period of time. And I'm, as you get older, I'm learning more and more. You know, we've got to live our lives, you know. We've got to live our best lives. We can't do that feeling sorry for ourselves all the time. So, Roger, I would like to know, what do you believe is the risk of someone starting a business or becoming an entrepreneur? As an entrepreneur, you spend a lot of time... Um, 
moving around without knowing for certain that you've got success. Your periscope's up, but you can't come up for whatever reason, and that means you haven't yet reached your target. So I think resilience in the sense of saying, okay, well, you've got to know this is going to be a rough ride. If you want to be an entrepreneur, you haven't got the security that you will in a paid job. So you've got to know that this could go wrong. And you can't be certain that you're going to be right and you know, how much you believe in yourself. Um, so I think that's the first thing to say before anything else. So I will have spent tracts of time underwater during my, my career um, as that submarine. But when you come up and you've succeeded, and not, not so much about firing the torpedo, but perhaps coming up, um, that's so exciting. So Greg, when you've got marketing, finance, product and everything in between to do, how do you choose what to do and when to do it? So tempting to get your phone out. But it's a choice. Right now, my phone's switched off. I have no idea what's going on in the world and it doesn't matter because we're doing this. And, and it's being able to be present like that when you're with people. Now, if I'm with someone for three or four hours, then of course I'll switch my phone, I'm going to go to the loo and quickly check what's going on, fire off a message and come back, usually without interrupting anything. If I have an idea, I'll drop a note down and deal with it later. Um, but, you know, I think that is, is important. Uh, there are some things that are really hard. Um, uh, media stuff always kicks off around about five o'clock on a Wednesday, I've found. I'm literally there frying up some sausages for my five-year-old who's trying to <laughs> kill himself climbing on the counter where the knives are, uh, while a journalist's on the phone and trying to bring it off in a cool way. Um, but, you know, you can deal with that. Um, the main thing is almost everything is a choice. Roger, have you ever been to a difficult dinner? What happened at that dinner? And what did that dinner turn into? I'd gone in our stretch time, going through the late 80s, we were really, help oh, bank manager, fashion show, bank manager, fashion show. And I thought I need to bring in a professional financial senior accountant. I don't know how I'm going to do this. I need to get some investment in. So I went to Arthur Anderson, who was then the biggest accounting company in the world. And I went for a dinner that I was invited to. And I sat down and there was the new business partner on one side of me and the insolvency partner on the other side. Now, I didn't know what their jobs were, but they were clearly sizing me up as to which part of their business I would be going into the following day or the, or the following time. <clears throat> And so fortunately, it was the new business guy and, and he actually said, look, can I invest in your business? And I sold him 5% of the business. That gave us a little bit more cash flow. Um, but he was safe. Um, and I could see as we went into that recession period and I was saying that we need to do Mulberry Home. And we need to expand out of this. You could see him going, no, you know, we can't afford to do this. This is much too much cash going into a brand new venture. And so I actually put him in charge of it. And so he had to apply his skill set, financial controls, into that new business. And yet I had Jill, my incredible designing girl, beside me. So we were creating a way. And he was trying to maintain control of what we were doing on the other side. But I'd got the two of them working together well with me directing it. Um, and we came out of that recession Every single Mulberry shop around the world saw that collection and cocooning was the new thing. Home was where everybody was and the Mulberry Home Collection, we were the first designer brand to do an interior home collection and it just shot off. And fashion 
was a bit sort of like this for a few years. Then the Gucci Prada period came in and that was all futuristic. That wasn't Mulberry's time in fashion. You know, I could have and did do every sort of Prada Gucci bag you can imagine, but nah, they, they wanted Gucci and Prada for that, not me. So Mulberry Home, we were front page of every magazine in the home interiors well around, around the world. And the, I, we did a stand, our first London show, I stood off it to watch the customers. And so many of them were wearing Mulberry handbags over their shoulders. And I, oh, that's just what. And of course, there, that world of our customer, they were relatively wealthy ladies. Interior design was the new in. They saw us, they immediately, so we jumped an industry and headed off again. So Jacqueline, should young entrepreneurs spend their time going to a fence or should they spend their time focusing behind the laptop, building their business? Because there's a lot of mixed opinions. Do you believe, as a successful entrepreneur, that going to a fence is important? I just want to say for your female viewers, because a lot of those, and male viewers I'm sure, you know, are sometimes nervous or intimidated by going to one of these events because I don't know anybody, I'm going on my own. But the great thing about social media is you can, once you know who's going to be at these events, you seek out the person that you want to engage with and you contact them on social media and say, look, I'm going to your event next week, hopefully I'll get to meet you. If you're lucky, you might have a bit of engagement, I'm sure you will. So then when you meet, you know, you're there, you, you've got your purpose, your objective is you want to go and see whoever, and you've, you've already started that conversation. So, you know, there are ways, there are ways around it, but that, I think that would be, you know, one of, one of my biggest, one of my biggest regrets. The second thing would be um, investing in good people. So when I first started, you know, I started uh, with, my first year sales was 83,000. It's over 100 million today. But I grew so fast, we were growing at 20% a year. I was thro throwing people at the problem. Greg, I'm really interested to hear your perspective of what you believe is the most important lesson young entrepreneurs can take on board that we don't hear enough of. The most important one is trust yourself. Right? You can listen to others, you can learn, but actually there is no one out there who knows the answers. And, and you discover that, right? But trust yourself and make your decisions. Um, and and uh, I, I want people to have that confidence. Jacqueline, there's a lot going on in the world. People are struggling from all walks of life. But what do you think is missing when it comes to business and young people? Um, I would say there's a couple of things. I think, first of all, I think the older generation of entrepreneurs don't necessarily always recognise the importance of youth. And as a business leader myself, one of the things that I really recognise is how actually it's the youth that are making the changes. They are driving change. So it, you know, it, uh, I'm staggered that not more businesses um, realise the importance of having, you know, really um, investing in that, in, in our youth and, and 
what, and actually realising what they can bring to the table. They have so much to bring to the table. There is so much we can learn from young people, so much. And I feel because of my business and because that is, you know, uh, sort of 18 to 25 year olds is very much my demographic, my key demographic. You know, it's important to me to understand them and understand that, that age group. And, you know, and I try to keep up with the social media and all of that, which for 62 is quite, you know. 62? Yeah. I thought you was only 40. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take that. <laughs> but it's really important to try and keep pace because they are the ones that are driving change. So I think that's, I think that's really important. And my second thing, would be confidence and and social conditioning actually and they're probably sort of mixed in you know we need to and I'm sort of we need to bring girls up to be you know to be equal to boys and a lot of the problems that I deal when I'm mentoring and um, you know I do a lot I, I run a, a competition every Wednesday called WOW and that's my women on Wednesday um, and whilst I love mentoring men and women, you know, women do have it harder. And I think it starts from the way they're brought up. You know, when you, um, you know, we, we bring boys up to be brave and we bring girls up to be, to be helpful and perfect. So it's no wonder by the time they reach the boardroom, if they're lucky, that, uh, you know, the men expect them to pull the tea. And I see this today, you know, when I, when I have external meetings, I go out to external meetings, I'm seeing, you know, two lawyers equal and she's there, you know, oh, let me be helpful. And I just, I think it's, it saddens me to see, um, you know, women um, not raising their head above the parapet. You know, we need women to raise their head above the parapet. We need women to have a voice. We need them to say when things don't look right, you know, or I'm not comfortable with the way you spoke to me or, you know, we were talking about sexual harassment. We need that voice, but we need to cultivate that. We need, we need it to be to, we, you know, it's got to be part of that social conditioning. Greg, what is your advice for anyone in our community that is feeling stuck as a young entrepreneur at the moment? Don't be scared of changing path. If the current path isn't working, we often stay on it because it might be better than the alternatives. But if it's not working, change it, right? There's always gonna be time opportunity to change again if you need to, to get to a better path. Roger, I would be really interested to hear your views and your advice for our community. The biggest thing of all of this is, you're gonna hit adversity, sometimes on a scale, and that could reverse you forever, or will opportunity appear for you? And I'm a great, believer that opportunity will surface in some form or another and then you've got to grasp it and try and make it work for you and I think that's what I'd be appealing to your audience that don't force it if it's not the right time look for that moment of opportunity but if you're going to be an entrepreneur find the way to learn it get yourself sufficiently good at it and then I was talking with your team earlier you know, what would be the best thing that I could give people as advice? And it would be, I have learned to multitask on all levels very fast, and that's been my career. As an entrepreneur, you, you learn to know that you've got to sweep the floor, 
you've got to fly to the moon, you know, you've got to know when to do each, but you can do both at once. Um, it is possible, not, not quite sure how, but it is possible. You've got to be able to do both those things because if people aren't seeing you sweep the floor and know that, oh, yeah, he can do that too. I can sweep the floor as well as they can. They've got to know that I can do that. They've got to know that I know that needs doing, but I can't spend all my time doing it, but I'm prepared to go and do it. So I will do any job on the farm. I feed the deer, feed the chicken, pull out the lambs, whatever it is, but I shouldn't be doing it all the time. I've really got to make sure I've got a team that can do that. Uh, they love doing it, but know that actually he does know what he's doing. And I think that's a very important lesson for anybody who's starting out, do the menial jobs as well as the big ones. Greg, break it down for me. What is one thing that the entrepreneurial community don't talk about enough that you can share with our community so they can get ahead? It's easy to say this, but integrity is everything, right? Um, uh, there are times when it's tempting to do something that's self-serving in the short term, but I cannot tell you the number of times I've seen integrity um, come back to reward people for the decisions they made for the right reason. And there's a great phrase, which is, you know, you know, integrity is what you do when no one's watching. Um, and if you're doing the right thing when no one's watching, you're doing the right thing. So Roger, you know this is called My Duvet Flip. So we always end on the final question. Roger, the founder of Mulberry, what is your duvet flip? thought about this and I thought, actually, have I got a duvet flip? Um, and facetiously, I would say, I have to get out of the morning, out of the morning, I have to get out of the bed in the morning and flip the duvet to make the cup of tea with my spelt drink, of course now, but it's tea for my wife. If I don't do that, I'll be in trouble. But probably the more, the reality one is, I get out of bed every morning excited about so many different things that I've got to do. Um, I love doing Tai Chi. Will I do Tai Chi? No, I'll probably go and head off and start doing my emails or answering emails and zoning. So basically, I'm flying every morning trying to do millions of different things and trying to focus in. Greg, this has been full of energy. We always finish on the final question the question on why I started. I lost my duvet flip when I got early stage skin cancer. And when I got the all clear, I started flipping the duvet in the morning. So my question to you is, Greg, what is your duvet flip? I learned it with the milk round. The alarm goes off, I'm up. Because the moment you say, I'll tell you what I'll say in another two minutes, and it's another two, and it's another two, and the day's gone. So maybe once or twice a year I'll do that. It's just discipline, right? Um, up. Even um, after a few beers on a Sunday? Especially after a few <laughs> beers on a Sunday. It's cool. like, you know, um, in a way, the harder it is, the more important it is that you do it. Jacqueline, Jacqueline, Jacqueline. Absolutely loved spending time with you today at my home. You know what time it is. Time for one more question. As you know, this is called my duvet flip. What gets you out of bed in the morning to flip the duvet? 
So my question to you, is Jacqueline the 17th richest woman in the UK? What is your duvet clip? I love life. I love, I love life. Um, I want every day to be a different experience. But I love the most of all doing the things I'm really passionate about. And if during the day, you know, I can do the things that I love, whether that's contributing a little bit to empowering women in the bedroom, to empowering women in the boardroom, just as, you know, I love the fact that I have my purpose and I can, I can do that throughout my day. And it might not be, an, I could be just, you know, a, a, about a week ago I was sitting on the train and I got chatting to some lady on the train, it was in the rush hour, and, and she told me what she was in uh, customer care and we got talking and at some point I handed her my business card and I said, I think you're fantastic, if ever you want a change of scene, call me. You know, there is such, such a good feeling about giving back, even when you're not expecting it or just doing a nice turn or, you know, I just, to me, uh, I love doing that. I feel I'm fulfilling. You know, we're all here for a reason and I, I'm loving what I do. I love Ann Summers. I love that brand, you know, and what we've achieved. Um, yeah, hopefully I've answered that. Wow, wow, wow. Three incredible entrepreneurs. Greg, Roger and Jacqueline. They gave so much insight, knowledge, and stories on their route to success on being an entrepreneur. I loved how Greg got up early and chased his boss down the road so he could get paid, went on to create video games, even though most of them failed. One thing about Greg, is that he has so much positivity and energy. So maybe the first lesson we can take away from all the lessons that the entrepreneurs share today is that life is too short to be sad and unhappy. Maybe we just need to be happy. So as a young entrepreneur, show a smile. Be optimistic, be focused, be kind, and bring energy into every conversation that you have. Let's talk a bit about Jacqueline. Not only has she created wealth, but she's been through some hardship. I personally wouldn't want a bullet through the post. And I love how she mentions, courage comes before confidence. And it's so true. Whether you're going up on stage or going to pitch to an investor. So I think that would be my second takeaway, is that courage comes before confidence. Have the courage to start your business. Have the courage to change direction when things don't go right. And have the courage 
to go from having all the answers to all the questions in everything you do. Roger, Roger, Roger. You can clearly see he likes these teapots. But most importantly, how he breaks everything down. He talks about finances, going to work for an organisation before you create a business. Creating a brand like Mulberry, an iconic fashion brand, you must be good at product. And we can see that, not just in Roger, but in all of them. But most importantly, they all had negative moments in their career, in their entrepreneur journey, and they could have gave up. They could have said, no, this is not for me. I'm not going to be a young entrepreneur. I'm not going to start my business. I'm not going to do this. But they didn't. They kept on going, going and going. And so can you. Don't give up. This has been a really interesting hour. I got so much energy and knowledge from these three entrepreneurs. And I tell you, they was kind off and on camera. They was kind to me, they was kind to my team. But now it's over to you. Rewind. Take the most important bits that matter to you and reach out if you have any questions. This is Spotlight One, My Duvet Flip. A youth group original by me, Jack Parsons. Powered by my friends, Aviva and EY. I'll catch you in a couple of weeks with Spotlight 2. Are you ready? Thank you, I've really, really enjoyed it. And your questions are great. You are, you know, just brilliant. Thank you. I love the fact that you dish out something I have not been, things I've not been asked before, which is, uh, yeah, oh, very it's, refreshing. It's a bit boring otherwise. Yeah, it? it's very samey. <laughs> I've loved it. And do you know, you remind me a bit of James Corden. Really? Have you been told that before? Um, no, I haven't actually, no. Yeah, I, I, well, he's a West to the UK. Well, you know he's a big West Ham yeah, fan. He is, yeah. Yeah, and he follows me on Twitter. Wow. I know. I, that's my uh, that's my call to fame. Um, actually, I saw him quite recently because when we went to Leon, uh, he he we all travelled wow. out together. But he's just a nice guy. Nice. Yeah, really nice guy. Funny. Absolutely. Yeah, and he's funny, and he's engaging, and he's a West Ham fan. Yeah. My favourite was Tevez. Oh really? The season of Tevez and Mascarano was the best. Oh, I've got because he came to the stadium recently, didn't he? And I managed to get a picture. And I have to do a picture with you. Can we do that? Absolutely. It'd be great to do some pictures. Thank you so much. This has been great. Yeah. Oh, good. Did you enjoy yeah, that? that really it's uh, it's trying to get everything in, isn't yeah, it? And no, all I the things and brilliant. If you if if you could help in terms of linking us to some of your brand team, so we can get some of the stock footage. Oh, absolutely. And and stuff. Yeah. Could you pick that up, Georgie? Yeah. And anything you want me to do, if you've got any um, 
if you've if you've got any assets that you want me to post. No, thank you. I do worry I waffled a lot there. I hope no, you got all these questions was, in. But. That was absolutely brilliant. I think you're sure. Absolutely. Because if you have to do part two, no, you can't do it today, we'll come back. No, that was really good. Cool. Thank you. I picked another subject than teapot, but anyways. I get asked to do lots of podcasts. Um, and I get asked to do lots of things, particularly around the things I'm passionate about. And I, you know, our time is is precious. All of our time is precious. But I love I love doing these type of things. But I want to do the ones that just resonate with me. I loved the title. Uh, you know, what's your duvet flip? I think is fantastic. I really do. I love what you stand for. I really do. I love your story. Um, and I love the idea of the impact that sharing my experiences, and I've been really honest about everything, you know, I think we have to show our vulnerabilities if we want to inspire other people. And, you know, we're no different. We've all gone through those different journeys together at some point. And, and the thought of perhaps being able to inspire some of your your listeners and viewers, I, th I think would be great. I think you're definitely going to